And it was the first time, I think, and it, this was the time when sponsorship in this country was on TV was illegal. It wasn't actually allowed. Um, and we sort of found ways of, found a way of doing it. And, um, and I, I got into such trouble about it, you know. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leaf Collectivo. I'm Gil, and with me is the uh, always awesome uh, Wesley Harley, our co-host. Uh, who is a CMO and Chief Customer um, Officer here at LEAF. And joining us today is our very, very special guest, Brian Jacobs, founder of BGNA Consultancy and an undeniable legend on the world of advertising and media agencies landscape. Um, his career spans 40 years. We were just joking before the show that, you know, he kind of almost started with the Madman era, you know, just briefly afterwards. But, you know, so there is a lot of stories, I'm sure. There is a lot of also experience. You know, the fact that he remains active, you know, after all of this experience and, you know, that he has been able to kind of like ride the waves, you know, with the times and with the, so much change. We thought it would be, you know, uh, very interesting to have that conversation, see, not only learn from his background, but more importantly, you know, have a look at, you know, what his outlook of the future is, how is he seeing things today? Obviously, the last couple of years because of, you know, the pandemic and everything has accelerated um, you know, the world that we live in, you know, has changed dramatically the landscape. Um, and it would be great to, to have some of that. So buckle up and enjoy this uh, as we pick the brains of uh, Brian Jacobs. Welcome. For everybody else, Brian, why don't we, you know, start maybe and giving us a little bit of kind of like a background on, on, on you. Okay, well, I I, um, I started in advertising um, not quite in the Mad Men era, but not not a long way away from it. Like, certainly, I was working with people who did remember it. So I started, I think, at the end of the nineteen sixties, so nineteen sixty nine, something like that. And uh, I'd always wanted to work in advertising. I I loved ads. I, it's hard to know quite kind of why, uh, but I just did. Um, and so I. Um, I wrote to masses of advertising agencies. I chose not to go to university. I, I wasn't interested in going to university. Instead, I just wrote to a bunch of advertising agencies and asked if I could get, have a job doing something. Uh, and in those days in London, what you did was you started off as a, a messenger in, in the advertising agency. And so I got a job as a messenger in a, an advertising agency in Knightsbridge. Um, and um, there was a guy who was the... Um, he was like the, the manager of the messengers. And I remember, I mean, this is a long time ago, right? But I remember him really well. His name was Don Tree. And he was like our mentor. You know, his job was to sort of bring messengers in. But that was the, the route in. And then you went off and did whatever else in the agency. You know, that his plan was always to propose you for jobs, you know, and try to get you jobs. And like, I mean, I wanted to be a copywriter. There was only one problem with that. I was really crap at it. So, um, <laughs> so I, I, I never sort of never made it as a copywriter. But Don would always put you up. You know, it, it, this was you got to remember this is in the days before email and everything else. So everything was done by by memo. And so Don would be the first person because he would be the one distributing all the memos around the agency. He would be the first one to hear of any job vacancies that were going, or if anyone was leaving, or you know they were looking for new staff or whatever. And he would put his lads forward you know, for, for jobs. That's how, how it used to work. So I got promoted from being a, originally an external messenger, which meant running around uh, London, 
carrying very heavy blocks in the days when you know printers <laughs> print ads had to be on blocks. Um, and I was then promoted to being an internal messenger, which which meant that I got to push a trolley around the agency delivering mail. And then I finished up in the information department, which was like, um, uh, you know, if the creative team wanted to, I don't know, wanted to do a particular ad featuring people in a certain costume, for example, our job would be to look up what what were the what, what were the details of the costumes, or you know, if you wanted to have a, a shot of someone who was in the army, what sort of things would they be wearing, you know, all that that sort of information stuff. Sounds like a, yeah. like a something from nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I was like a kind of. I was like a kind of, um, uh, I was like a very embryonic Google. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, how do you, because obviously, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like uh, you, you will have, you know, like agencies at a time will have, you know, a, a good body of, of information and content and knowledge that you can, you know, quickly kind of like go and pick you you know, piggyback into, but it's almost like maintaining a library in itself, right? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's exactly what it was. It was that, yeah, it was exactly that. It was like a library. And I finished up, I can't quite remember how now, but I sort of finished up in, in, um, in media. Uh, I went to work for one of the TV, one of the, um, one of the TV companies in the sort of, in their research department. And, um, and then most of my career really from them was I, I finished up most of my, most of my time was spent in, um, in advertising agency media departments, because in those days, you know, it was all full service. So the advertising agency literally did everything. I mean, they would. Sometimes they'll be even responsible for package design or market research or as well as media placements and obviously creating ads. So, you know, I've, I finished up in the media department of, um, of an advertising agency um, and sort of went from there. How, how much, you know, like being a messenger and starting as a messenger, you know, obviously you get exposed, I'm sure, to, you know, the, the, the full vertical, right, of, uh, and the whole yeah. structure how much opportunity do you get to build relationships? Uh, well, as a messenger, you didn't, of course. <laughs> you just knew where things were, you know. <laughs> but you're right. That, but but I'm sure that you knew probably more than a lot of other people because, you know, yeah, you, you kind of have was, eyes and ears everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And you knew what was going on. You know, you could sort of see what was happening. And also, I mean, remember, these were really different days. So I'd always wanted to be in an ad agency. So... For example, most advertising agencies, in fact, to this day, most advertising agencies today do the same thing. You know, if they're presenting for clients, you know, for new business, they'll do it in a in a studio or in a, in a big meeting room, and they would often be like a viewing uh, place behind. That would be where the um, you know, if they were going to show ads or show films or something, they would often do it. You know, from from this um, like a booth. You know, and if you were if you were smart, you could go and watch the pitch. You know. So I used to go and sneak in and kind of watch what they were doing. You know, watch this is probably pitch. you know the best university you could get, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, was, you're, was... you're, you, know, you have <laughs> almost like front row seats to yeah to history, uh, really, was... and to action, yeah. and you get to see it working. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think it feels like um, you know, and this is just one of many examples, but there's been an atomization of um of society and you know that that percolates all the way through you know from business right through to to home life and now people are especially during the pandemic and remote working like very very chained to a laptop and a screen and even in the office you know we've been interviewing people for positions and uh some of them saying you know we 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 are tasked with being at our desk for a certain amount of time as in don't stand up and walk around we need you at your screen for a certain amount of time and this is in 
this is in the media industry, uh, the advertising industry. So I find that really interesting, actually, that that we're probably missing some, and we're forgetting that we're that we're, that we're missing it. You know, the yeah, yeah, people yeah, to have worked yeah, in exactly. You know, the advertising agency world. I mean, we'll come on to the media agencies versus the advertising agencies in a minute. But in, in my day, I mean, when I was starting, at any rate, it was all the same thing. And you know, just walking around the agency was a huge part of what you did. I mean, once you got into, I'm not, not talking about being a messenger, you know, once you got into, you know, the heights of being in media or or copyright or whatever it was you did, just wandering around the agency was a really big, big thing. Um, because, you know, that's how, that really is where ideas often germinate. You know, someone chatting chatting with you, I know there's the old, the old cliche about water cooler moments and all that, but, you know, it really was like that. It, it honestly was, you know, you'll be chatting to someone about something. I mean, there was, you know, one of the agencies I worked in um, early on, I sort of, I suppose when I really started my career properly was a fantastic advertising agency called Davidson Pierce, which is no more. It became part of, um, it was eventually, it was bought by Ogilvy and then it was subsequently um, offloaded and bought by, um, it became BMP in effect um, and subsequently DDB Needham. But we had the PG Tips account T account and you know if you're sort of boring like me and you you remember the history of advertising we did a campaign featuring chimps um and and this was a very famous in fact to this day people will play back the ads to you i mean they'll tell you what the ad said you know you know can you ride tandem you know and all that you know and, you know the piano's on my foot son you hum it i'll play it all that kind of stuff you know and um the idea for that genuinely came from the copywriter a guy called Tony Toller, who was a bit stuck for ideas and went wandering off for a walk and found himself in London Zoo. And, and you know, only from sort of wandering around London Zoo, back in those days, they did used to do chimp tea parties in London <laughs> Zoo, chimpanzee tea parties. It was a great draw, you know. And he happened to find himself there and he thought, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> there you go. So just so that, that, that's that's where the phrase comes from, then, right? It, it, that's the the source of that phrase, like a chimps tea party. Well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 yeah, yeah, and I mean, they um they used to come and make these the films with these these live, you know, these wild. Well, they weren't wild. Uh, these chimpanzees um, they used to film them for absolutely ages to keep the camera running because chimp would express its emotions by opening and closing its mouth, and then they would write the script to fit the. Um, you know, fit them out to movements. When, when did this start? Because I remember these adverts being on, like, this is like a, a Proustian, Proustian rush that I'm getting, like, all the way back to my childhood in the 80s. Like, I can yeah. remember watching these so vividly, the the PG Tips advert with the chimps and the family at home and the yeah, mum and the it. dad and the kids and the voiceovers. Yeah. I do remember once um, pitching a, a big American account. I can't remember, actually genuinely can't remember what it was for now, but um, the creative director went through the agency reel. He was a brilliant man called Norman Berry, and Norman went through the agency reel. And he always used to stay, keep the chimp stuff for the end, because it was by far the most famous campaign we'd ever done. You know, everyone knew it. Um, and I remember the American guy just said, can I just give you some advice, Mr. Berry? You've just got to lose the monkeys. <laughs> but I remember thinking, okay, we're not going to win. <laughs> We didn't. <laughs> it's it's funny how you see you, you started that stuff in the seventies because even even now, you know when we're 
when we're running ads, uh, for example, and we're you know testing lots and lots of different creatives and finding our winners, and you find your winners, and your winners stay stay your winners for for quite for quite a while. You know, I've spoken to for Go Compare, for example, a, a lot of the work we wanted to kind of see if we could move away from some of the um, stuff we were doing featuring featuring Geo, the opera singer, and not just have that because when we put ads out, especially on Facebook and Instagram we would get a lot of hideous comments under the under the ads. So we're like, let, let's see if other stuff can work. So lifestyle stuff. So if we're talking about car insurance, people in the right age group driving the right kind of car and stuff like that. And every single time the winning ad was Geo's face on a green background. And we tested lots of different colors, lots of different copies. We tested his alter ego, the real uh, person win as well. And it was it was what people recognized and that was the winner that was the winner solidly for for 18 months and i would say that that's going to be the winner it's going to continue into the future i've spoke to other big brands that, were, that have found the winners and the winners have been the winners for for years on end and they can't get away from them because they're they're the things that people resonate with and it's that but fact you know, it's, a fact it, it's quite interesting you know once you find one of them you just really shouldn't change them i mean they're, they're gold dust you know if you can come up with something like that when I interviewed for some work I was doing for somebody, I interviewed somebody who used to work for Go Compare, and he told the exact same story you just told about how they tried to move away from the, the opera guy and, and how they kept going back and kept working. He kept working. And, um, you know, I, I, I think if you've got a, a really great property, you stick with it. You stick with it. I mean, you know, it's why I, I, I was really interested I felt quite proud of the industry for once, actually, when a few years ago, when um, Audi, part of Volkswagen Group, decided to put their creative work up for pitch. And creative work has been BBHs for ever and a day. And John Hegarty famously came up with the um, Forspring Duck Technic line, having seen it on a, on a wall in, a, in, a, in the factory in Germany. And, um, you know, there's no question that the advertising for Audi over the years has built that has created that brand. I mean, it was just an ordinary, you know, sub BMW lookalike, you know, and BBH's work without doubt. And the, the sting of, you know, that line has undoubtedly built that brand. And um, they announced that they were going to put it up for pitch. And a lot of agencies refused to pitch. Because they just went, why? You know, I mean, you've got a fantastic agency. You got any sense? I mean, all you're trying to do is reduce your costs. You know, and, and that, that is, you know, that's a, that's, that's a very interesting, you know, like comment because it's something that we've seen, right? I mean, it's there is this somewhat disconnection, you know, between and it's it's purposely is the soul behind, you know, what we do, and, and in many ways, you know, you could argue that a lot of people would think it has gone soulless in a way because it becomes, you know, especially now with data and, you know, and, and we see it, you know, the way we, we approach things, data is, it's, it, you know, it's an informant, right? It's a, it, it allows you to kind of like validate, guide you, but ultimately you, you have to be careful also to kind of like not lose the soul and, and, and be, you know, very mindful of, you know, what makes a brand and what's, you know, being able you, you, to you're, you're exactly right i mean i that's the thing i think that is the biggest danger to be honest with you but you know some of the things that um that i sort of was involved in now seem to be so incredibly kind of obvious but at the time they, they absolutely weren't i mean for example um 
Well, I was invited up to um, the Edinburgh TV Festival. The Edinburgh TV Festival then, I mean, it's similar now, but then it was absolutely a festival of program makers. You know, so you had all the big broadcasters from all over the world. You had producers, directors, you know, and so on. And it was a really big deal thing. And if you spoke in the main assembly room, it was an audience of seven or 800 people. I was the only advertising guy. I, I was the devil incarnate. I was the one who was there to have stuff chucked at him, you know? And I did that. And um, I remember saying then, this was in 1988, I think it was, or 87, 87 or 88, that when you've got all these new channels and, you know, the coming of the internet and all these things happening, what was going to happen was that you were going to, you, you're going to have a need for more content, clearly, because someone's going to have to make stuff to fill all the stuff that's out there. And you, you were going to have to find some money from somewhere because, you know, where, who's going to fund all this? Where's it going to come from? And I remember saying, you're going to find advertisers getting much more involved in programming and in producing content. And this was a, an immensely controversial thing to say. You know, I mean, after everyone stopped yelling at me, you know, <laughs> um, and calm down. I, I got a call um, about a week or two later from somebody. And she said, I was in the audience at Edinburgh. Um, I'd love to come and see you. Now, I'll tell you who it was in a minute. But um, when she came to see me, she said, I make children's programs for broadcast television. The problem is there's no money in it. There's a very limited number of advertisers. Um, the fact is that the broadcasters, you know, the audience is small because it's, it's kids, you know, and so there's no money. There's not, there just simply isn't much money. And they're just going out and buying American imports, you know, old Disney stuff and, you know, whatever. And I really want to, she said, I really want to create British um, programming for kids. And um, and I, I sort of, the more I got talking to her, the more I sort of quite liked this idea. And so I, I put a proposal together and I went up to see Kellogg's, who was a client of mine. And I said, we had a very tiny piece of Kellogg business. And I just said, hey, you know, it must be hard for you because there's not that many kids programs out there. And what there is, is, is pretty ordinary. How would you feel about doing this? And I then proposed they should go out and make a series of programs. And I had an idea. We had an idea. I mean, this person had an idea. And before the end of the meeting, Kellogg's had bought it, which was really scary because I then had to go and do it. Go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the woman was a lady called Anne Wood, who went on to invent the Teletubbies. So this is before she did that. So she was on her uppers. I mean, she, you know, she really just had, she made kids programs, you know, and, and, and no one was buying them. And we made a, with Kellogg's, help and support, we made a series of animated cartoons for kids. Um, and it was the first time, I think, and it, this was the time when sponsorship in this country was on TV was illegal. It wasn't actually allowed. Um, and we sort of found ways of, found a way of doing it. And um, and I, I got into such trouble about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't uh, she wasn't on something when she made the Teletubbies, was she? There was a time after she'd made the Teletubbies, she was the wealthiest woman in Britain, so she didn't do too badly. <laughs> the, the problems, some of the problems, you know, I'm seeing on working with brands is that the, the, the saying, um, 
like what's the date saying? What's this date saying? Gives you the date, it gives you the date. A, a lot of them don't know what to do with the date. Um, but B, date is not going to ha- have any ideas. You're, you're the ideas person. Data doesn't have a vision. It doesn't understand your place in the world, your positioning, your context in the market. It is, it's an after effect, you know, the data. It's telling you, it's, it's, it's the tea leaves of like what's happened and what. And so I think a lot of the brands in, I think over the past decade, um, I think everyone got a bit lazy because there was it was so easy just to test stuff and the algorithms and there was so much data and you know it was a bit of a free for all and then you could just you know we did it with 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 our early product leaf music we would upload thousands of ads into Facebook and Instagram and we were getting app installs for like 7 cents an install and so we were getting shitloads of data through each ad and we could have tiny variations in each ad and then we could we had this mass multivariate approach you know like a Hadron Collider for advertising, smashing loads of ads and variants against lots of audiences. Those days are gone. And at the time we were saying, you know, it was data's king, data's king, content's dead, data's king. Uh, Content is king. It's always been king and it always will be king. And now we've reached peak marketing data. Content's having to work so much harder again. Now it's, are you targeting is content led? Because we're getting less and less data about you know demographics, interest groups. It's all getting much much broader, and it's going back to like what TV was. Just today, you know, like today, I was uh, somebody on Twitter was uh, complaining about an ad that he's being targeted with, and it's like this hideous, you know, like person, like no shirt inside, just a blazer, like super hairy, big bear, you know, like hipster ish, like, and. Um, they were promoting a, a, a you know, a, like a books app, <laughs> completely disconnected. And uh, it's a, like, I, I found it jokingly. And then I went into the, you know, I went into Facebook and I wanted to, to look at all the ads that this company, you know, was uh, running. Uh, and, you know, like you could take, you know, like, I don't know, like all of those ads and, then, you know, like you could see the themes, but they're all all the different teams were like belong to different companies there was no one single you know like connector line in between and it was hideous you know like it was so awful like and and then again it goes back to just let's see what it works you know like see what it sticks with where's the soul of the product where is the soul of the brand you know like what are you trying to convey yeah and and you wonder why it is that i mean i I do at the moment i've done in the past i haven't got doing it this year but in the past, I've done quite a lot of work for Cantar, the research agency, and we've done we've done um, a study. Cantar done a study called Dimension, and that involves going out and asking. Um, it's actually a very interesting piece of work because it, it interviews consumers, so about a thousand consumers in a number of countries. So I think last time it was about eight countries, so about eight thousand people, and at the same time we interview industry leaders, you know, and marketing figures and people, and so we we hear what consumers have to say about whatever it may be, the media or advertising. And then we hear what the marketers have to say. And you can see the, what the disconnect is between the two. You know, because what, what consumers say now is advertising is very unpopular. I mean, online advertising particularly is unpopular. TV advertising actually is quite popular. You know, and people, you know, quite like TV advertising because it tends to be quite entertaining by and large. I mean, I'm obviously exaggerated you know, to make a point, generalizing to make a point. But, but you know, online stuff is unpopular. And you wonder why that might be. And then you think, well, maybe it's something to do. And you, you probe into why people don't like it and why they feel it's unpopular. 
And it's often to do with the fact that it's, it interrupts something they're doing. If you're watching TV and an ad comes on, then you have a kind of almost like a contract with the broadcaster. You know, you're watching the TV for free and you're seeing an ad and you the contract is you're getting this stuff for free and we're going to put ads in it, you know, up to a comparatively limited number of ads. If you're doing something online, you're normally doing something. You're looking for something or you're working or you're, you know, you're looking for a thing or you're you're not just there often just to be leaning back entertained. I mean, obviously that happens, but a lot of the time it isn't like that. And to have these ads keep coming up over and over and over and over again, interrupting what it is you're doing, stopping you achieving what you're doing, can be very annoying for people. Or even chasing you, you know, chasing you all over. You know, like I don't think, you know, like people, you know, like some advertisers don't even have respect out of people and the frequency of showing ads to people is just like through the roof. Like, you know, like we see it with, with you know, with clients that come our way and it was like, you know, show a little bit of respect to people, you know, like it's also like, you know, like the brand that you built, right? And the image that you, you put to people, right? I mean, you are in control of all of those things, right? In many ways. A few, actually a while back now, I bought some, um, I bought some new shoes and they were Echo shoes, right? So, so why am I seeing ads every, every day in everything I'm looking at for Echo shoes? I'm not going to buy another pair, you know? I bought the shoes I want. And this retargeting thing is really, really annoying. So, and I think that one of the reasons that we've got to where we've got to is the point Wes was making. We look at the data, and no one thinks about the soul of it, or the the appeal of it, or or even the entertainment value of it. I mean, there's a very good book written by a, a creative agency account planner of great renown called Paul Feldwick, and um, his book is called um, uh, Why Does the Peddler Sing? And it, it's a it's a really interesting book because his point is that advertising is really not that different, really, from the old showman days of, of, of Barnum, P.T. Barnum and people like that. You know, it was about creating fame and creating a sense of enjoyment of something, you know, and, and making a brand famous or, you know, in the P.T. Barnum days, you know, a character or, a, you know, a particular act um, famous. And, you know, he said, you know, if you, if you think about it, a lot of advertising is like that. And the best advertising is very much like that. You know, it creates fame. It creates a sense of, uh, of um, well, well, it creates a, a brand, doesn't yeah. it? It, it literally, it's, brand. it's exactly. branding. It's imprinting yeah. the the idea of a company upon your upon your mind. I think a lot of, um, you know, what, what I see at the moment is, is, is a lot of people saying, oh, video, 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 video ads. When you know, and it's slightly contradictory to your to your point before, but when an ad when the ads come on telly, most people stare at the phone or they go and make a brew, unless the ad is funny or sexy or entertaining or it's the new Nike ad or something. You know what I mean? And it's it's, it's an event or something. Yeah, I mean people. I mean, there's been quite a lot of work done on this, and and yes, people do do what you said. You know, they they look at their phones or they go out of the room, but a lot don't. Um, and actually, you know, certain types of programs, you know, are more glued to the screen more than others. And you don't want to leave the room in case the ad break finishes, and then you miss the beginning of the program or whatever, it, whatever it is. Um, and you know, there's, there's all sorts of, of reasons why people will be glued to something on, on the screen and they will remember stuff that is appealing, entertaining, you know, and, and has a sense of. That's with anything, right? You need to capture yeah. it in the first three look seconds, right? Look, I mean, it's not, like that. You know, look at the you mentioned Nike, and I used to work on Adidas. Look at the Adidas stuff. Look at the Nike stuff. 
Look at the, you know, some of the, if you go back in time, some of the old Coke stuff or Guinness stuff. You know, and, you know, look at the very fact that I could quote you, and you probably could as well, the chimp stuff. You know, that was, that was 40 years ago. You know, so if there's a new chimp commercial, you know, that's, that was sort of news, you know, the new John Lewis commercial every Christmas. I mean, it makes bloody newspaper stories. I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, advertising, it feels to me like TV advertising has got much more emotive and it's much more about the self. Everything is about the self now. And, and, and you know, we're competing. You know, we used to say when we're in the music industry that artists now, they're, they're competing with the entire collective avatar ego of the entire world. You no longer just stood in a queue for a cash machine and you've got a Walkman and you stick a Walkman on. There's no other interruptions. Everybody's got a laptop in the pocket and they're looking at pictures of themselves and pictures of the friend. And then artists and content makers are like, don't forget us, like people outside of your own your own mind and your own, your own ego. And I think TV advertising has got much more about the self and it's got much more uh, emotive. And I think that social advertising, a lot of that stuff, I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of it has got, it, it, it misses some of that, that emotion, like the, a reason to exist and a reason to believe. It's just like, oh, well, we know we need to put some features and benefits in there. We know we need to stick an offer in there. We know that it needs to be in this format. And it's very kind of, it's very, very functional. The best brands we work with are the ones that that plant their flag in the ground right from the start, regardless of what any data says. And they say, we want to do this. This is who we're for. And it just makes our job so much easier. We're like, great. The, the hardest thing to do is to is when a brand comes and says, yeah, we don't really know who our core customer is. Uh, our product's a bit wishy-washy. And, and you're just like, well, what the fuck do you want us to do? <laughs> what do you want us to do, do with this? Some of the best brands I've ever worked on are, are people who do exactly what you just said. I mean, whether you like them or not is irrelevant, but they do exactly, they know exactly what they are, who they're for, and they have a sense of sort of confidence and belief about themselves. So I used to work for probably the brand I've had probably the most to do with in my career has been Coca-Cola. And, you know, I, I always remember saying to people, once you start to um, dissemble Coca-Cola, you know, you're finished. What is Coca-Cola? You know, it's, it's, it's a sort of brown, fizzy sugar, isn't it, really, that rots your teeth. It's, it's not very good for you. But, of course, you don't. You know what the advertising has managed to do over time is it's sold brilliantly sold this like this notion of refreshment and it's you know it's it's togetherness and it's um you know uh friendliness and all those sorts of companionship and all that kind of stuff and they've done it brilliantly absolutely brilliantly for for years and years and there's a you know i remember um reading an excellent book when i used to work on it an excellent book about coca-cola by someone called for god country and coca-cola and at the end of it, he tells a story where he says, I went, I went and asked at the end, when I was finishing this book, I went and asked them if I could have the formula. And they said, yeah, why not? By the way, what are you going to do with it if we give it to you? Yeah, must produce it. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, I could set up Jacob's Cola, you know, in my garage. And they said, okay. Yeah, so what are you going to do with it then? And they, he, I said, you know, the guy said, well, I could, I could sell it. In competition to you and he said okay so you've got jacob's cola which no one's ever heard of and we've got coca-cola which one do you think people will buy well i said well it'd be exactly the same thing yeah people don't know that do they you know what are you going to do with it? It, it it's a it's a brand that has been built by brilliant marketing and advertising for you know decades 
And, I like um, this. I like the simplicity of um, some of the stuff Coca Cola put out, and even on the can, it 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 onboards you. It's got onboarding guidance where it says um, best enjoyed with ice. And it is a, a simple little thing like that, and it is best enjoyed with ice. And it is simple. It's as simple as simple as that. They used to do. Um, they used to bring all their agencies over to Atlanta, you know, once or twice a year, and we'd go and have these sort of come to Jesus type meetings, you know. And they were really interesting. And I remember them telling me once that um, at the beginning of one of these meetings, at one of their internal big internal marketing meetings, they. Um, they sat everybody down and they gave everybody a, a glass. It didn't have ice in it, but it was an iced glass, if you know what I mean. It was cold, very, very cold. And they brought in a bottle of Coke for each person. You know, um, Georgia Green, they're called, you know, the, the classic Coca-Cola bottle. And a bottle opener. And they said, what we want you to do is to open it, pour it, drink it. Why are we doing this? And they said, because you, you just forget the magic in this, you know. If you, when you open it, there's that sort of fizz noise, you know, there's a sort of um, tingling on your tongue when you first drink it. Yeah, it's a, the whole experience is more than just gulping down up. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think, you know, like I was, um, I, I was recently uh, watching this um, uh, kind of like online class called Bonfire with Soul, uh, which is, was put by uh, Duke Stump to work at Nike and then he worked at, um, uh, Lululemon and you know and some of the companies and talking about you know really the purpose you know that sits behind the brand and you know how do you put it through everything that you do and the brand becomes you know like almost that 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 carrier almost like you were saying right of of that purpose right it's not really the coke is what coke means right it's um you know like uh, Duke was talking about you know how you know even Lululemon becoming yoga right like it's yoga right like and and how you know it kind of like paved the wave that was that you know nike became they just do it that kind of like almost like anthem you know and call of arms of athletes right uh and it's really putting that alongside your brand and really putting you know wh what you could do we have you know one of our um uh the, the brands that we work with uh being okilo is you know one of europe's uh, um you know, biggest uh, secondhand and vintage clothing, you know, they have a very strong purpose and, you know, what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing, right? In, in many ways behind um, to what they do. And, and it comes all the way to even business decisions, you know, like, uh, you know, for them, you know, who do they affiliate with or not, the kind of things they make available, you know, to customers or not, you know, who they hire even, you know, and, and it's, it's a strong, you know, like, especially in these days of age where everything comes on a monetary purpose or value, right? Um, having your, you know, like Wes was saying, putting your flag on the ground and really stating what you stand for and then making they're doing, it. They're doing, they're doing something else as well, aren't they? What they're doing, which I think is, is clever, is they've worked out that every single thing communicates. So everything you do communicates. You know, if you if you um, hire the wrong people and the people are rude or, or or they don't answer the phone in the right way or they whenever they come in to contact the customers they don't you know they don't they don't really exude whatever the brand's purpose and image and everything else you know, whatever those things are then you're losing something. I mean, I remember you know working on a you know on a, on a car brand uh, years ago and and we we sent um, you know it was a very desirable car and we sent a couple of our senior women into the car showroom 
and you know wearing and we deliberately dressed them in t-shirts and uh, jeans and they went in at the weekend on their own so without partner without husband without anything and they were just completely ignored and when the salesman eventually when they went up and asked it was well it was so patronizing it was well maybe you'd like to come back with your husband you know uh, and um and when it was you know but i'm the one with the money and i'm going to buy this car for cash even then you know it was kind of not really of any great interest to the salesman now what does that say about the car actually quite a lot doesn't it i mean every single thing communicates you've got to get everything right so you've got to have your example of the clothing you know you've got to get it's not just the clothes but it's the people you hire it's it's the, the whole way in which you communicate the proposition everything you do has to pull in the same direction because it's really easy to wreck it and, really. and it's ultimately a relationship right i mean like uh, you know me and wes were discussing this um you know a few days ago ultimately you know even from a sales point of view you know like when we are you know pitching to you know to, to prospect clients and stuff like that it's really what you're doing is building a relationship you're building trust you know like you have to gain that trust try not only to understand and then you have to sustain that you know through the ups and the downs because you know if there is anything in this marketing world is that it's a roller coaster right i mean it, yeah. if everything was open to the right you know but but it ain't and it's it's building those relationships it's understanding how you're the whole even ourselves you know like the the, the brand of leaf and you know what we stand for you know and how do we trend translate that into the customers you know how we make every single touch point feel the other the, yeah. the other party and i think i think this is where things have gone wrong myself i mean i think i mean i i, I know it's um, not terribly fashionable for media people like me to say this but i think it was a very big mistake to break media away from creative in the first place um and it's quite it's quite interesting now that a lot of agencies are starting to sort of kind of bring them back together in some shape or form So I think that was a mistake because what you did was you lost the, the connection that the media guys had. The media guys looking at data all day, you know, they're looking at the figures, the numbers, and the statistics, and they're not really thinking much about the ads. And once you take them away from where the ads come from, you know, the creative department and where the ads are created, then you know why would they even care? I mean, I, I know most media agencies these days, and they would say otherwise, I'm sure, but but I can tell you for a fact that a lot of them don't know what the ads are they're placing. You know they're they're placing ads for this client. What's the ad say? I don't know. You know, and and you sort of, but shouldn't you be part of all that? You know, shouldn't uh, shouldn't part of your job be to understand that you're putting something in front of some of, of a consumer? So shouldn't you know what it is? Because that might change where you place it or how you place it or what you place it on, and that will vary, won't it? By you know, whatever the creative treatment happens to be. So I think that was a that was a mistake. I understand exactly why it happened. <clears throat> and I lived through it, and I, I was part of it, and, and you know, I'm very happy to have been part of the media agency world. But but I still think it was a it was a mistake. And I think the the second thing that's a mistake, I think, is that we've become, as as Wes was saying, completely obsessed with data at the expense of worrying about the you know the emotional connection and the content. You know, of course, you need the data, and of course, you need to see who you're trying to reach and how many times you reach them, and what happens as a result and all those things, of course, I mean, I, of course, that's really important. But I think you do a much, much better job if you understand and you have some input into what the creative work is and what the, the sort of soul of the thing is that you're trying to place. You know, over Christmas, I, I, I read, a, you know, a few biographies from like 
you know, uh, great athletes and, you know, and, and, and some other like great people. I, I like to, sometimes when I read these, you know, especially if they're autobiographies or at least, you know, the, the person with someone involved, it's about understanding the process. It's about understanding their mindset. It's about understanding the pride that sits behind, you know, it's funny that you were, you know, joking before about, you mean, you wanted to become a, a copywriter and, and then you yeah, talk shit. about the example yeah. of your, you know, of your daughter before as well. Um, but then, you know, really being on it and really wanted to, you know, loving ads and, and being on the industry and really wanted, you know, like even us, you know, we, we think, you know, like sometimes, you know, looking at the purpose behind what you do, you know, why do you wake up every morning? You know, like why, you know, like in our case, you know, we really want to help brands become profitable. Like, but it's not any brand, you know, it's about, you know, like making people's purpose reality. Yeah. It is about, you know, Very enabling people's dreams yeah. become true. You know, it's about yeah. how do you give, you know, people the, you know, the, the, the greatest opportunity for their dreams to come, you know, to become reality right but it's about that purpose right and i think you know listening to you and you know even you know the choices that we make in life about you know um you know even you know going and starting as a messenger because that's the way you did it and you know and taking pride in what you do and and you know and, and going and staying and you know going into the pitches in the booth and and seeing the things that happen i wonder you know like from your point of view, from your experience, because obviously you, you, you remain pretty active in the industry, you know, these days, uh, probably on a completely different capacity. But what would you say, you know, what would you advise, you know, people like us, you know, who are, you know, arguably, you know, kind of like getting started in, in some of this stuff, you know, compared to your experience, but also to the people on the brand side, you know, like cause these days, you know, like companies, you know, might be like two people you know, in a room and everything else is outsourced, you know, like, um, and, you know, we work with some great brands that are like that, but also we work with others that are, you know, like hundreds of people, you know, um, behind it. But what, you know, in your experience, in based on what you're seeing today and what you've seen, you know, before. Yeah, I think that, um, I, I just think the basic principles still matter. You know, I, I really honestly um, do. Um, and I think quite often we just forget that, you know, we, you know, we sort of get all excited because we've got a whole bunch of numbers and we can look at them and, and all the rest of it. And, and of course, of, of course, looking at the numbers and doing, looking at all the data, having all that stuff available, it's all, it's great. I mean, I'm not, I'd be the last person to say that that's, we've gone backwards because of that. I mean, I think we've gone a long way forwards because of that. But I think if you just do that and you forget all the basic principles about what it is you're trying to do, you're trying to either flog something to someone or get someone to buy something that will make them or make get them to do something that will make them feel better or, or whatever whatever it is um so go back to the beginning of this don't forget that's what you're trying to do you're not trying to get clicks it may very well be <coughs> that in order to get to your objectives you need clicks but it's a means to an end then it's not just we need clicks you know um or we've got to have a 30 second cut down of the observer ad no no you haven't what you've got to do is get people to sit at the dinner table the same night having seen the ad once and bloody will quote the ad back to you. You want people to connect with your brand and your ad and feel better about it as a result. And there's a lot of stuff that you can that gets that you can easily get forgotten, that can easily get forgotten if you're just obsessing about the media numbers. And I think that we've <coughs> my advice would always be to remember what it is you're trying to do. 
because what you're trying to do really is, I mean, it could be, as you said, it could be to make people's lives better, it could be to make profit, it could be to, you know, whatever it is, just keep that thing in mind rather than getting obsessed about, you know, the steps along the way that might get you there. And I, I think that as part of that, you need to understand, <coughs> you know, the role that the advertising can play, certainly, but that all communication can play. Because, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to get anywhere if, if you, you know, if you, if you have a, the loveliest ad for a car in the world, and then you send two people into the showroom and they just mistreat them, those people are never going to buy the car. They might love the ad, but they just won't buy the car. Why the hell should they buy the car? Because they're being patronized and whatever by the people who are, who are trying to sell them the car. So everything has to kind of work together. Now, okay, cars are an easy one to talk about. That same principle should apply to, to everything, I think. I mean, I think, you know, whether you're, I mean, there was a story about Coke that they, um, when the, once upon a time when the president of Coca-Cola used to go on country visits, he would arrive in, I don't know, two town, two town somewhere, you know, some one horse town in Colombia, say, for sake of argument. And he would be on a site visit. Right? He'll be visiting the local office and he'll say to the guy, the guy would be delighted to have him there. And he would say, oh, I've arranged this lovely dinner for you. And we're so grateful you've come to Colombia. And the coat guy would say, no, I want you to take me to this little tiny village that I've looked up on a map that's 50 miles away, right? We're going to go there now. And when we're going to get, when we get there, we're going to go into the one store in that place. And we're going to see what's for sale. And if it wasn't Coke, or if it was Coke but it wasn't cold, the guy would have a problem. Because what the, the president realised was that at the end of the day, they used to say at Coke, we build our business one drink at a time. So what they wanted to do, they realised that every single thing they did added to the brand. Every Everything from some guy running a corner shop in a, a town somewhere in somewhere in the middle of Colombia, you know, to, to running TV ads, to doing whatever else. So, you know, I think that you've got to work out what it is you want to do, whatever it is, whatever the objectives are, and then everything has to put in the same direction and you need to make sure that you, you deliver on that at every time. So if that means that you've got to, <clears throat> you know, as I'm sure you've seen them in, in parts of South America and in parts of Africa, these big skips, you know, which are basically huge fridges with Cokes in them, you know, like stores for selling cold Cokes. If that's what you do, that's what you do. If, you know, because what you're doing is you're bringing Coke to to every every corner of the world to, so people can enjoy it. And you've got to then realise that, you know, the advertising is great and could do so much, but having a skip full of ice with cold Cokes in it can do a lot more. Uh, Brian, it's been a pleasure to have you with us today. You know, thanks for, you know, lending us your time, and, you know, and your experience and your stories and, you know, like... Uh, your wisdom really it's been it's been such a pleasure you know having this com this this conversation today uh and and learning and also like being remind you know ourselves in, in many ways what we're doing and you know and also you know in many ways holding us and the industry accountable you know all of us every day you know because ultimately you know like we're in in so much position and so much responsibility you know, uh, of what's it's going out there, really, yeah. and how things are I, you being know, built. You, you—it's very kind of you to have asked me, and I'm, I really appreciate it. But I've been doing this stuff for a long time, and I only do it because I really like it. You know, and, <laughs> um, 
and I think that I just feel that we've we've gone wrong somewhere, and we risk going badly wrong. And I think we just need to, as Wes was saying, you need to sort of get back to what it is that you're trying to achieve, and then go from there rather than rushing around looking at meaningless stuff, you know, which isn't going to help you at all, really.